So um, if you're joining us for the first time or if you're catching us online for the first time, you're going to want to know that we have been laboring through the scriptures over the treasure of God's kingdom and over our relationship with the material things, with money and possessions that we have in this life. Um, It's not been an easy road, not for me, to say the least. There are things that I wrestle with, things that I struggle with. There are perceptions about money and and trust issues that I still have, and I'm willing to admit that in front of all of you in the name of of, uh, transparency, just so you know that I'm human too, and I'm I'm walking this road with you. Um, So it's not been easy for me, and I'm sure it's not been easy for many, many of you. Uh, and that, that uncomfortableness comes mainly because of, you know, most of us have grown up and we've been taught and we've seen a very unbiblical relationship with money, unbiblical view of money from, from the pulpit, from our, our peers, um, parents. You know, the prosperity gospel is a cancer in the church and it has, uh, it's done untold amounts of damage to the body of Christ. Last week, when I ended the message, I ended it with a quote from a a missionary named Jim Elliott, who was a martyr for the gospel. And he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. That just makes sense, doesn't it? You're not a fool if you give what you can't keep in order to gain what you can't lose. And I I love that quote because it it seems to sum up for me what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 6. How many of you have Matthew 6? You have it yet? Say amen. Did I tell you to turn to Matthew 6? I didn't tell you that, did I? <laughs> well, read my mind. How many of you have it yet? <laughs> Matthew chapter 6. Very familiar passage. You've heard it a few times over the last month or so. Verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up treasures for yourselves, treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you've heard me say it before during this series that Jesus in this passage here, he is clearly not... Uh, coming against having an investment mentality. In fact, that's what he's commanding us to do. He wants us to have an investment mentality. He commands us to look to our future and to lay up treasures. Do you see that in the text? There is a commandment to lay up treasures. This means to store up treasures, to make deposits, to uh, accumulate wealth. There's nothing wrong with accumulation. The distinction that he's making here, though, is between the kind of wealth, the wealth that comes from deceitful riches, or the wealth that comes from true wealth in in eternity, the kind of treasure that we we seek, that we lay up. Jesus is making a distinction there. Remember in Deuteronomy, when God spoke to the children of Israel, and he gave them a choice, he said, I'm going to set before you a couple of things, blessings and cursings. And life and death. Therefore, I want you to choose life. So God said, you got a choice to make. I want you to choose wisely. Choose life. And here, Jesus is laying down the same kind of distinction, the same kind of choice that we have. He says, you need to invest in your future. You need to, to look to your future and make investments and plan for your future. 
You can invest in earthly, deceitful riches, which are temporary and an insecure future, future, the riches that will rot and rust away. Or you can invest in heavenly wealth that is a secure wealth. It will never rot. It will never rust. Thieves can't break it and steal it. He says you can, you can choose which investment you want to do. Choose wisely. Choose the heavenly investment. Choose heavenly investments. Church, you cannot take it with you. <laughs> Here's what Jesus is saying in verse 19. He's saying, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth, moth, moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Everything that you keep, listen to me, everything that you keep here on earth, you will ultimately lose. Amen. All right? Have you ever heard the expression, you can't take it with you? Of course you have. I just said it, right? <laughs> you can't take it with you. You've heard it before. You know what it means. It's a very true expression because you can't. In fact, Michaela, put that next slide up, the picture. This is where all of your possessions will end up. The garbage heap, the trash heap. All of your life's accumulations will end up here one day. In fact, early on when I was, you know, mulling all this over and deciding how to work this out and how to preach this series. I actually wanted to preach this message from a landfill. I did. I did. I thought, wouldn't it be so neat for us to gather here and worship and sing songs, sing praises to God, and then get into our cars and in the van and, and travel out to the dump and preach this message from the dump. What a fitting backdrop it would have been for the, <laughs> the filthiness, the deceitfulness of, of riches. Because I think it provides a really neat visual of what Paul meant when he said, I count it all as dung for the surpassing worth of Christ. Count it all as refuse for the surpassing worth of Christ. But I, I just couldn't make the logistics work in my head. And I thought of my mama and my dad and, and some of you trying to walk out there in the middle of all that trash. And it just didn't, it didn't set well with me. So I'm... You're welcome. This is what you get. You get a picture. <laughs> you, anybody ever been to the garbage dump? Amen. Anybody? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, a, it's an experience, isn't it? Yeah. If you've ever been, then I'm sure you're going to remember some things about that experience, some things like the smell. It, don't smell very good. it does not smell very good. The griminess of it all. I mean, everything is just contaminated with, with filth. And when you come back from a place like that, you just, you just want to wash it all off of you. You, know? you, you, just, even, you may not even touch anything. You just walk in through it, but just the, the air is sticky. You, know? you just want to wash it all off of you. I remember many years ago uh, when my wife and I were, were young, we had a friend who had, who had gotten in, in with some bad people, some rough people. And uh, she was living in a situation that was... Um, what well, was just terrible. Uh, several people in a little apartment, and it was just... She'd finally gotten to a point where things were so bad that she was ready to get out, like the prodigal. You know, you, when he hit rock bottom and he finds himself in the pigsty and eating the slop from the pigs and thinks, you know, I, I can do better than this. And this is where she got to. And, and so we went to move her out of this place, and we were so grateful and so thankful to God, and we were happy to move her out. But... The squalor that she lived in was so awful. I remember feeling that feeling when I got home that we both felt, we just got to wash this, this nastiness off of us. 
That's what the dump does. It's just awful conditions. And this is what all of our earthly accumulation, where it all ends up. It's just filth on the trash heap. That's what it is. Think about it. Even the, the basic needs that you have in life. Your basic needs. Your righteous the things that you righteously procure for yourself, to make yourself, to sustain yourself. The food that you eat, even though you're not eating lavish food, you're not eating Wagyu beef steaks, and you know, you're, you're, you're eating modest and humble food. You're just, you're just doing it modestly and humbly. Even the food that you eat to sustain yourself winds up in the sewer. The clothes that you wear, even though you're not wearing lavish clothes, you're wearing modest and humble clothing, you're not, you're not splurging, you're not spending, you're not going overboard with it, you, you dress modestly and you, you wear humble clothing, even that will wind up on the trash heap. The car that you drive to get yourself back and forth to work, to, to do what you need to do, even though you're driving a modest and humble car, it's nothing, nothing fancy, nothing outrageous, you just, it just gets you back and forth where you got to go, that will end up on the trash heap. The house that you live, these structures that we think are so permanent, Amen. even if it's a modest and humble home, just, just, to, you know, just to keep you safe, put a roof over your head and four walls around you, nothing fancy, nothing flashy, that will end up on the trash heap. I just think it's interesting that even the necessary and righteous things that we procure for ourselves to sustain ourselves, as God has, has allowed us to do and, and has graciously provided for us to do, even those things end up on the trash heap. Amen. Church, everything that you keep on this earth, you will ultimately lose. Mm -hmm. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. In verse 10, Peter says that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now, what did Jesus say in Matthew 6? He said, don't lay up treasures on earth, lay them up in heaven. And the reason why we don't lay them up on earth is because we don't want moth and rust to destroy them. We don't want thieves to break in and steal them. Amen. And the day of the Lord comes in like a thief. Every material possession you have in this life will be lost. And Peter says, and then and the heavens will pass away with the roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Amen. Other translations say that the earth and the works will be burned with fire. Some manuscripts say exposed, some manuscripts say burned with fire. I take this to mean exposed by fire. Like when Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 3, when he said you have to be careful how you build upon this foundation. You've got to build upon it with gold and precious jewels because the works of every person will be revealed by fire. So everything on the earth is going to be passed through the fire. And what is gold and precious and silver will survive. Everything else will burn. Everything else will burn. And what will ultimately stand after the fire? What will that fire ultimately reveal for you? When we stand before God on that day, will we look at Him and say, Lord, thank you for all of your bountiful blessings. I put everything to good work. Look at my boat and my three cars. My four-bedroom home, my 401k was the envy of everyone that I knew. And I gave you all the credit. You get all the credit, Lord. It's all because of you. And I'm afraid that he will look at you and say, you fool. 
because it's all trash on the dung heap. I'm not saying you can't have nice things. Neither is Jesus. I'm not saying you can't have a boat. In fact, I know two men who both own boats and they actively use them as a tool for ministry. They have found that there's just something about getting a tortured soul out on the water. Another man who's, who's hurting, who's walking through life and he has questions, he doesn't know which way is up. Getting him out on the water in the middle of the, the lake and when the sun's coming up and it's quiet and the fish aren't quite biting just yet. They found that there's an intimacy there. There's a, a place where the, the walls tend to come down and the guard is dropped and they can use that for real ministry. Many lives have been changed on those boats because they use them to make disciples. They use them to make disciples. So I'm not saying you can't have nice things. I'm saying that whatever you have, if it isn't put to kingdom use, will end up on the trash heap. And it will be burned with all the rest. There's a movie called Schindler's List. It's an older film. Have anybody seen Schindler's List? If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. There's some rough patches, but man, it's got a great great story. It's an important piece of historic cinema. In that movie, we see a transition of a man who is a war profiteer, Oscar Schindler. He's a Nazi, and he sees a business opportunity with these Jews that are in the internment camps. You remember what happened with the Jews and the Nazis? They put them all in prison camps. So now he's got slave labor he can use to build munitions that he can sell back to the Nazi government to, to support the German efforts in the war. And so these Jews, because they worked in the munitions depot, in the munitions factory that owned by Oscar Schindler, they were considered essential workers. So they weren't taken with the rest of them to be put into the gas chambers, right? They're fueling the war engine. They're making weapons for the war machine. They're essential workers. Over time, Schindler began to realize that um, these weren't just slaves. They weren't property. They're people. And so he began to see the error in the, the way that the Nazis were treating them. And, and he began to use his factory and this, this, these jobs to make a safe haven for the Jews. He would use the money that he earned to purchase more Jews from the internment camps as workers. He would bribe people to get more Jews as workers. And, and he would so use his, his wealth that he had gained to, to get more Jews in. And he eventually realized they're people. And well, you all know the, the war ended and, and the Allies won and the Nazis didn't. And this man is a member of the Nazi party. So when the war ended, now he's a wanted man. And there's a, there's a scene in the movie at the very end where they, and this is, this is true to the historical record that we have from, this is a true story. Um, so they, they all gathered and, and the people that, that were workers in the, the factory, they wanted to show their appreciation to Oscar Schindler for saving their lives, essentially. Now, it wasn't, a, it wasn't great, don't get me wrong. They lived hard lives, but they lived. Amen. They wouldn't otherwise. And so they, they, they pulled their teeth to get gold from their fillings so that they could make a ring for him, just as a token. And they, they inscribed something from the Talmud on it, and it said, if, if you, he who saves one person saves the world entire. And they gave him this ring as, as he's got his bags packed and he's walking out. It's in the middle of the night, walking out to his, his, his Nazi car that he's about to get into, this really uh, you know, expensive car, and they drive off in the night to try to escape from the Allied forces because if they catch him, he's a war criminal. 
And so they all wrote him a letter and they tried to explain what he did for them. And the, every, every worker signed it. And they gave it to him. They gave him this ring. And he looked at this ring and he, he whispered, I didn't do enough. It wasn't enough. And they tried to assure him, Oscar Schindler, because of what you did, there are over 1,100 souls that, that have lived. There will be generations because of what you did. Don't, don't think about what you didn't do. Think about what you did do. But he couldn't escape it. There was joy before him because of all the souls that he had been able to rescue, but he couldn't escape the ones he didn't get. He looked at that ring, that, that gold ring, and he said, this, I could, I, could get, I could get two people for this. Then he looked at that car, that expensive car he was about to drive off in. He said, ten, ten people. Maybe I could have gotten ten people for that. Surely I could have gotten ten people. And then he grabbed the, the Nazi lapel pin off of his, off of his jacket that had the Nazi symbol. He said, this, this is gold. This, this is worth something. I, I could have gotten two people for this, but one. I could have at least gotten one. For sure I could have gotten one person. Just one more person. And in that moment, he, he realized the deceitfulness of riches and the true wealth of heaven. Amen. Could have gotten one more person. The unfortunate thing is I fear there are many people who will play out that same kind of scene when they stand that day before the Lord. Amen. And they'll realize that all of the lives that they could have touched, but they didn't. Everything you keep here on earth you will ultimately lose. You cannot take it with you. There's another side to that, though. Everything that you give in the name of Jesus Christ to help your neighbor, the stranger, the sojourner, the, the poor and the needy, to further the ministry of the gospel, all to the glory of God and not for yourself, you will gain an eternal reward. Amen. You can't take it with you, church, but you know what? You can send it on ahead. You cannot take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. That should be cause to rejoice. You cannot take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. I want to get, read you a, a little scenario that uh, Randy Alcorn writes. It's in that book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. That's a book that really helped focus a lot of the ideas that are coming to you in this series. He says, imagine that you are alive at the end of the Civil War. And you are living in the South, but you are a Northerner. You're a citizen of the North, but you're living in the South. You have a business in the South. And you plan to move back North as soon as the war is over. Now, while you're in the South, because you're a businessman, you've accumulated a lot of wealth, a lot of Confederate money. And now suppose that you know for a fact that the North is going to win the war and that the war is coming to an end very soon. What do you do with all your Confederate money? Well, the smart thing, the only, the only smart thing to do is to exchange it as quickly as you can for northern currency. That's the only currency that's going to be worth anything when the war's over, right? You keep only enough Confederate currency to meet your needs, to, to live your life, to make sure you've got the things that you need, to pay for your house, put food on your table, provide for those around you, but you send everything else on ahead. You exchange it for the currency of your nationality, where you really are a citizen. Do you see where I'm going? Amen. Amen. You cannot take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. I want to draw your attention to a text that I think is so often misunderstood, 
misused, abused, and uh, frankly, it's mispreached. Luke chapter 6, if you would. Luke chapter 6. This is a, a very familiar passage. Most of you have probably heard it quoted many times, especially verse 38. I'm going to begin in verse 32, where Jesus is speaking, and he says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even the sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even the sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And here's the one, give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. How many of you have heard that verse? Many times. That verse gives so many people problems because of their lack of understanding and because of where their treasure is. In verse 38, Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it'll be put into your lap. The King James says, men will give to your bosom. If you take that verse and lift it up off the page and you, you paste it up on the screen by itself, it's very easy to see why there's so much abuse of this text. I mean, it would be easy and so very tempting for us to conclude that Jesus is saying that everything you give in this life will be given back to you. Not only that, but it will be multiplied back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And in fact, that is what he says. We ought to take him at his, at his word. But oh, how many times have I heard this passage used to support tithing? If you give into this ministry, then God will bless you. God will return to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And then they try to give you some kind of nebulous example of how they wrote a check one time when they didn't really have enough money to give it, but they acted on faith, and they gave it anyway. And, and then the next day, they get some huge financial blessing. And, and that financial blessing that they received, now they're using it as a carrot to dangle in front of God's people to say, if you could, you could have this too for the low, low price of your financial gift. There's a preacher that I've, I've heard in many times. Unfortunately, he's a popular preacher. And it just makes me sick at my stomach when he does this. But there was a, a point early in his ministry when uh, he was struggling financially and he was, was at a service or a conference or something. It doesn't really matter. But the point is that, that in his spirit, he felt the Lord telling him to give $500 to whatever this, this ministry was. And so it was, it was his last 500 bucks. In fact, if I'm remembering correctly, I think he even goes so far as to say he didn't really have the $500 in the bank. He just wrote the check for it on, on faith. Now, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not saying that you shouldn't. Be. If God tells you to give it, you give it. All right? There is such a thing as giving on faith. So, all right? I'm not saying that, that he's, not, he's wrong in that. 
But so he, he tells this example about he, he wrote his $500 check and he gives it, didn't really have the money in the bank. And then just a couple days later, out of the blue almost, he gets this, this financial blessing that covers the amount of the check and then some, and somebody gives him a house. He and his wife are given a house, not a, not a fixer-upper, not a run-down little place that nobody wanted, a nice home in a nice neighborhood for him and his wife to live free. Here, it's yours, just given to him. That's wonderful. How wonderful is that? God is a bountiful supplier, and the Lord should be praised for that. Amen? He should be praised for that. But here's the problem. Here's a problem that, that I have with it. Here's a problem that we should all have with it. Here's a problem I think God would have with him in it. Now, this preacher uses that number, $500 in a free home, as a carrot to dangle in front of God's people in order to entice them to give in the hopes that they too will receive such a, a windfall kind of a blessing. He plays, listen, he doesn't play to joy in God. He doesn't appeal to the treasure that we have in heaven. He appeals to their carnal base desires of earthly treasure. Give, and it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken. You've seen a preacher do that. Shaken together and running over. Well, I'm not dancing. That's what they do. <laughs> Plays with their carnal desires, doesn't he? I mean, after all, isn't God the, the great real estate agent in the sky? Isn't that what he is? I've heard this guy use this story so many times in order to raise an offering for his, either his ministry or for some other person's ministry because, you know, when you're preaching at somebody else's church, the more money you raise for them, the more times they'll ask you back to preach. If you give this $500 right now, and he uses that, there's, a, there's power in that number. You give this $500 right now, the Lord will bless you. God will multiply it back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Won't he do it? I'm sure it, just, it just makes me sick when I, when I hear it. I, I, my stomach churns when I hear the gospel being peddled and prostituted like that. It makes me sick to my stomach to hear the word of God taken so greatly out of context and used to deceive, not to lift up and edify, not to point to the glory of God, not to point to our eternal treasure, but to bilk God's people out of their money. Amen. Amen. Painting God to be a real estate agent whose favor can be purchased. If it can be purchased, church, it is not grace. This is my problem with how most people understand this text. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 that we read very early on. He said, don't lay up treasures on earth. Lay them up in heaven. Why? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart follows your treasure. If you give, expecting to receive the same in return... If you give money thinking that you're going to be making some kind of transaction with God so that now he's obligated to bless you financially, then what are you seeking? Where is your treasure? You're seeking an earthly treasure. You're seeking deceitful riches. And in fact, you've become no better than Simon the sorcerer who tried to purchase the Holy Spirit from the apostles. Amen. Amen. I see the power that you're working in. I want that power too. How much gold will it cost me to get it? I mean, seriously, it couldn't be more clear from the context. Look at what Jesus said back in Luke 6 about giving. This is just a couple of sentences before he said, give and it will be given to you. I'm going to start in verse 32. If you love those who love you, 
What benefit is that to you? For even the sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even the sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. He's saying, you, you think you can give and just wait to get the same thing back? Well, what, what benefit is that? What profit is it? What credit is it to you? This isn't a gift. You, you've not made a, uh, you, you haven't made a, a sacrifice. You've made a transaction. And sinners, they do business deals all the time. Sinners can do business deals too. This is, there's nothing kingdom-oriented in this. There's nothing Holy Spirit-empowered in this. There's no sacrifice. There's no real gift. You've done nothing worthy of any kind of recognition or reward from the Lord. In that regard, you've done nothing that looks like Christ. You haven't reflected the Father to the world. And what's worse, you have set your treasure on earth. And how many times have we been enticed to give in order to receive? Not a, a heavenly reward. But I promise you, that's what they tell you. If you give this $100, he'll give you 1000 back. You're making a transaction. You haven't given for a heavenly gain. And where is your treasure? That $1,000 you're expecting to get back, where is it going to end up? On the dung heap. That's, your, that's the earthly treasure where moth and rust corrupt and thieves come in and steal. And that's being touted in churches all across the country as the reason why we give. Won't he do it? Won't he bless you? I got more to say about that. It pains me that we've seen this so many times. Heard this text preached as a, as a, and used as a ticket to great wealth in this life. You know what? If wealth in this life is the reason that you give, then your treasure is here and your heart is here also. And it pains me also to say that when that treasure is consumed on that day in the fire, your heart will go right along with it. Look at what he says next. He says in verse 35, But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Boy, that's weird language, isn't it? Lend, expecting nothing in return? That doesn't sound like lending to me. What does that sound like? That's giving. That's clearly giving. He's, it's a play on words that he's using. There's, there's a difference between giving in order to receive, that's lending, and giving because you trust the Lord for your needs. Jesus says, and your reward will be great when you have loved your enemies and given expecting nothing in return, your reward will be great. And what is that reward? You will be the sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. I love that. You'll be sons of the Most High. For? Because? Why, why is it that you can be called sons of the Most High? Because God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil? You are his son because you look like him? How do you know who that boy belongs to? Does he act like his daddy? You see, the, the son reflects the father. And the father is known by his son. You'll become sons of the Most High. When you look like this, when you're kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Church, everything you keep here on earth, you will ultimately lose. Everything you give in the name of Jesus Christ to help your neighbor, to further the ministry of the gospel, to the glory of God and not yourself, you will gain an eternal reward. This is not something where you give someone a meal 
and you hope for a meal in return. This is not where you give a dollar and you hope to receive a dollar in return. This is far greater than that. And if that's what you're hoping to receive, then church, I, I, I would say you've set your sights way too low. I'm not saying that God doesn't bless you in those ways. There are too many stories where people have acted in faith because God has told them to give and they've given even though they didn't have it and he has blessed them with an abundance. Think of Abraham. Amen. Think of Abraham. Give your only son. Give Isaac, the, the, one that you, the one that you love. And he gave Isaac and then God made him a great nation. So there, there's biblical principle for that. But I want you to understand God hasn't asked all of us to give up our children. Amen. Just like the, the rich young ruler that Jesus met. And he, he said, what must I do to be saved? And he said, sell all your possessions and, and then take up your cross and follow me. Is he telling all of us to sell everything we own? To take up? Certainly not. How can we meet anybody's needs if we didn't have any money? He's not telling everybody. That, that was an individual command to meet that individual's need. And some of you have a relationship with money that might require you to sell everything you've got because you need to get that low in order to realize that Christ is that worth it. But that's not a commandment for everybody. So I'm not, I'm not saying God won't bless you because you give. I'm not saying you can't apply, give, and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over to your, your giving, that, that he won't bless you in this life. Here's, here's what it means. Here's what it really means. Pressed down, shaken together, running over isn't the reward, church. That's not the end of it. What that is, that is the fuel that stokes the flames of generosity in our lives in order to turn us into giving machines. That's what keeps us going, keeps us going over and over again. That's not the real reward. Pressed down, shaken together, running over isn't about increasing your standard of living. And unfortunately, that's what most of us view it as. What it is about is increasing your standard of giving. Amen. See, we've, we've come to adjust ourselves to a certain standard of living that most people would look at and think, wow, they have so much. Well, this doesn't sit well, does it? Look, I'm not telling you I got it figured out. I mean, I'm, there's some specific situations that I'm struggling with right now and some some you know, money that we've received, and I'm, I'm wondering, Lord, am, is, was this put in my laps to, to give it away, or am I, am I supposed to, can I use this? To, we're planning a ski trip in January. We, we, we never take big vacations. I mean, we, we took one in November. That's the first one we took in years, and now the girls are older, and you know, we just kind of want another one final hurrah with them, and um, so we're planning that, and, and I struggle. Lord, is this, is this selfish of me? Am I, am I, should I use this elsewhere? Should I, am I supposed to give this? I mean, this is a real emotional battle. I've shed tears over this. That doesn't make me righteous or more holy than you. I'm just telling you this is real stuff that we all struggle with, and we all need to be asking these questions. Have you given this to me so that I can buy a new boat, or is this something that I need to give to somebody else? Have you given me pressed down, shaken together, running over to fuel the engine of giving? As, as just fuel to, to make that engine work. So that the more I give, the more you bless me with so that I can continue to give. Or is it the more you bless me, I'm just going to store it up in barns and then you'll say, you fool, this night your life is required of you. You cannot take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And then next week, unless the Lord leads me in a different direction, I think I'm going to look at the tithe. 
Boy, that'll be fun, won't it? <laughs> that'll be fun. So let us pray. Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I thank you for your word. Um, I pray that it has set well on hearts and that uh, we are changed by it, Lord. At the very least, let us begin to ask these questions of you, to seek you for how we should treat the blessings that you've given us, how we should use them. Father, we know that you want us to live lives that, that reflect you. We know that you, you don't want us hurting. You don't want us struggling. You said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. And you don't want us to have to do that, Lord. And we, we trust you. Help us to trust you for our provision. Help us to have open hands to be givers and trusters of you for our provision. Bless us as we go our separate ways. And keep us safe. In Jesus' name we pray.